Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 136 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. This week we have my usual roundup of the week's activities and as we're heading towards December, it's time to make some slow gin with honey. Beekeeping Short and Sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm sat here in my office today looking out at another rain shower. We seem to have had a roller coaster of a week with weather. Some stupidly high temperatures of 17 degrees centigrade. That's around 62 degrees Fahrenheit. Some days have been lovely clear skies and others overcast, dull and quite dreary. It's that time of year of course and we should embrace the change from autumn to winter as much as we do winter to spring or spring into summer. Yes it's lovely to have bright blue skies and warm sunshine but there's also beauty to be seen in those rolling stormy grey skies, clouds heavy with rain and occasional glimpses of the sun hidden behind it all waiting to burst through quite poetic really. Anyway, we and our bees are in for a bit of a shock tonight as temperatures plummet to near freezing and I wouldn't be surprised if I'm scraping the windscreen of the truck in the morning. To be honest, it's long overdue and I do enjoy the colder days that mark the approach of winter. Not for any other reason than it means I'm getting closer to the start of a new beekeeping season it's about now that I start to get a bit fidgety. I've not looked inside a beehive properly for some time and you, well, start to miss it. Obviously, those moments in high summer when it's blazing hot, I'm sweating so much it's running into my eyes and I can hardly see what I'm looking at, counteract this feeling. At that point in midsummer, I can't wait for the calmer days of autumn and winter, but now we're here, I'm starting to feel rested and ready for the new season. I say rested, what I mean is rested from inspections. The work goes on and with the new product testing going on at the moment, I seem to be busier than ever. That's a good thing, of course. It keeps my mind occupied away from wanting to look inside beehives. Just to update you on the new product launch, I think it will be next weekend. That's November the 28th, probably. I've had one or two delays through testing and waiting on equipment. Next day delivery has turned into a wait of nine days for one item. And although it's not a major problem, I think I've become caught up in the whole order it today, get it tomorrow way of thinking. So any delays become hugely frustrating. Not that I'm stuck for jobs though. I've just been discussing with Pete plans to make some wooden horses to use as a temporary work table at the unit. I need a decent table space for making up frames and waxing them. The workshop is just too cold so I'm hoping we can get organised and move the frame finishing from the workshop to the new unit. That obviously needs me to focus on the cleaning of frames first, a job that keeps getting pushed further down the priority list. One of the reasons for that is the decision to go with more plastic frames. I'm not sure if I've already mentioned it in previous podcasts, but I've ordered 500 frames to fill the honey pour brood boxes that I've recently ordered. 
I was talking to Paul at Modern Beekeeping a few days ago about the decision and trying to pick his brains about how best to use them. He's used them successfully for some time. And the more important question is how to wax them. My previous attempts have been pretty poor, to be honest, and that made me reluctant to invest in more and try them out during the main summer season. That, of course, this year has resulted in me losing confidence in them purely because I don't have any experience of them working well. That is, apart from one solitary frame in a honeypore brood box at the alpaca apiary. So I needed to understand what I was doing wrong so that next season I can get to grips with it and really understand how and if they can help me with my beekeeping. The first thing that cropped up was confirmation that you just can't put the frames into a hive without coating them with wax to encourage the bees onto them. You need to encourage them to start drawing out comb, building on the embossed pattern in the plastic foundation. I found this out to my cost this season. I trialled a few plastic frames without waxing them in several hives and they just weren't interested in them at all. I kind of figured that that would be the result. So I didn't need Paul to confirm that to me, but it's just nice to have the obvious stated sometimes. The next thing is to say you have to give the frames enough wax to get the bees excited, but not too much so as to be wasteful. Remember, beeswax is a valuable commodity and it needs to go as far as it can be stretched, but too little is as good as none at all. I found this out to my cost again this season, although there may be another reason for what I find, but more on that in a moment. If you don't coat the foundation with enough wax, the bees will simply ignore the parts that don't have enough wax and build comb where they consider you've given them a proper helping hand. It feels quite judgmental, really. I can almost hear the bees criticising me about how little wax I'd put on the frames. So the plan is to be a bit more generous with the wax this time round giving the frames a good coat to make sure the bees don't feel short-changed. Something else Paul mentioned hit home. Getting the timing right when you put the frames into the hive can be just as important. To be honest, it hadn't really occurred to me before, but it does make sense. Very often, when I put wooden frames and wax foundation into the hives, I find the bees chew the wax, robbing it to use elsewhere. They don't have enough wax of their own. The colony may be balanced to perform other tasks and not have enough workers producing wax scales. And so rather than wait for numbers of bees to switch over to wax production, they simply rob the wax from other frames in order to be used elsewhere. If you give bees plastic foundation, they can't chew through it, obviously. So they'll rob what they can off it and the comb building stalls. Once the bees discover they're short of wax, they'll strip the wax off the plastic foundation back to the bare plastic and not return to build on it. I found this in a couple of frames. You could see the wax prior to it going into the hive and then a week or so later, the bees had started to draw out some comb but left large areas completely clean. So timing is really important, but when's best? Well, logically, I guess there are a few opportunities to get the bees onto the frames and get strong wax building done. The obvious one is swarms. When a swarm leaves a colony, they're primed to produce wax. 
they're searching for a new home and know they will need to produce fresh comb for their queen to lay in, so they're programmed and ready to produce wax. Drop them into a brood box filled with well-coated plastic foundation and give them plenty of food and they should draw out comb super fast. Another time they'll be ready to produce comb is when there's a strong nectar flow happening. For me, that has to be the major flow in spring with our oilseed rape. It's almost guaranteed and the bees are looking to expand as rapidly as they can to store all of the nectar they're bringing home. Another opportunity is perhaps a shook swarm during the early part of the season and I think I'll give that a try as well next year. So it's not just as simple as buying a few plastic frames and chucking them in the hive. It needs a little thought and preparation. It sounds obvious, but until you stop to think about it or someone offers a little support, you can easily get it wrong. I'm grateful to Paul at Modern Beekeeping for being there with that help and advice. Oh, and I nearly forgot to tell you a secret. A secret for which I got into trouble this week. I've ordered a wax clarifier from Paul at Modern Beekeeping. I got into trouble because I hadn't passed it through the management committee. That's Steph, if you were wondering. Anyway, I explained it by discussing the plastic frames issue. Because I need clean wax to coat the plastic frames, I really need to find a better way of heating and straining the wax. A way that means I'm not having to melt it, strain it, let it go solid, melt it again, filter it, let it go solid, melt it, you get the picture. Because I'm only doing small batches of wax and the only real option I have to heat it is the Appy Melter, it costs a small fortune to heat up and then cool down again. A wax clarifier is purpose-built for the job. The version I'm getting is made by a company called Logar and as it happens, imported by Paul at Modern Beekeeping. We got chatting after I'd grabbed all of his useful knowledge on plastic frames and he had the perfect solution. It works by melting the wax and then allowing it to settle out the gunk and has two taps on it, one slightly higher than the other. It kind of looks like a large settling tank with the two taps. The top tap allows the clean melted wax to flow out and the bottom one allows the dirty wax and gunk to come out afterwards. It's ingenious and should save me a heap of time and money and energy costs. I'll definitely shoot a video of it in action but it's not due to arrive until mid to late December, I think. So it's an early Christmas present to myself. The other topic for this week is slow gin made with honey. It's that time of year again when, if you look around the hedgerows, you'll see these black fruits growing on spiny branches. They're about the size of a small marble and really bitter to taste. I've made slow gin many times before using sugar, but figured it was time to use some of our delicious honey to sweeten it before I use it all for mead making. I spent the last week deep in the depths of the city library, searching for ancient recipes for slow gin, and after many hours of reading by candlelight, late into the night, I've discovered a recipe that's rather different to the one that I normally use. Traditionally, I've always taken the slows from the bush after the first frosts, and pricked each one with a thorn taken from the same plant. The reason for this is lost in time, but rumour has it it's to ward off evil spirits. Okay, I may have made that bit up. Honestly, I have no idea why you would need to do that. Anyway, you take about a pound of slows, 
maybe 500 grams or so, wash them and put them in the freezer for a day or two. This means you don't have to wait until the first frosts hit, you just pick them when they're ripe. Give them a squish and if they're soft you can pick them, unless the birds have already eaten them of course, and then you won't know if they're soft or not because there won't be any left. Anyway, let's just rewind. Pick them before the birds eat them and when they're ripe. Wash them and put them in the freezer for a day or two. This will cause a lot of them to swell up and burst. Take them out of the freezer and prick them all over with a fork or something similar. Pop them into a jar or container that you can seal firmly. A kilner jar or a plastic box with a tight-fitting lid would do perfectly. This is where my recipe for this year is going off-piste. Don't add any sugar at this stage. This is where the recipe differs from my normal version, which usually results in a sickly sweet, slightly medicinal syrup. I'll explain when to add the sugar in a moment. Cover them with gin or vodka, or whatever your preferred spirit is, in this case gin. Don't be cheap and go for the value gin on the bottom shelf at the supermarket. You'll get what you pay for here, and if you go that route, you may as well go down to the local garage and buy some antifreeze. Okay, just for clarity, don't use antifreeze, and I'll repeat that, do not use antifreeze. Now, you have to leave it to steep. Put it away in a cool, dark place, maybe next to the mead that you're making, for instance. Check it occasionally and give it a stir or a shake, making sure that the lid is firmly in place. After three months, it should be a nice, dark red, kind of burgundy-looking liquid and taste terrible. Now comes the fun part. Make up a syrup using somewhere around a pound of honey and a little water, just enough to make it easy to pour and to mix with the slow gin. Strain the gin off the slows and add some of the honey mix. Stir to mix it thoroughly and taste it a little. Keep doing this until you get just the right taste for you. If you have a sweet tooth, you'll probably have drunk all the gin and feel very happy with life. I would simply lay down at this point and clear up in a day or two. On the other hand, you may have found a perfect balance for you between sweet and bitter and still have the majority of the gin left. Congratulations! Bottle what's left and share with your friends or alternatively, hide it away, don't tell anyone and keep it for yourself. I'm told it goes great adding a little to a glass of Prosecco or you can just pour some over an ice cube in a heavy bottomed whiskey glass and enjoy it after a long day of cleaning brood frames. I'm told it's just like me, gets better with age. I'm not sure mine will last that long though, and I'll post the recipe along with other useful links from today's podcast. I think we should all make some and have a tasting at one of my monthly Patreon Zoom gatherings. And if you'd like to join in with the fun, simply head over to my Patreon page and check out the login requirements. I'll be posting details of my next meeting in the coming weeks. Well, that's it for this week. Do check out the podcast notes for all the links. But until next week, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. (laughs) 